All right, so Timothy, thank you so much for joining me. You're welcome. So uh, we have known each other for a while. We met each other on Twitter, which seems, yeah. which seems to be where I meet a lot of my friends. I, I'm discovering that most of my interviews start by me saying, so uh, we met on Twitter. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you have a really interesting story because you come out of the Salvation Army, mm -hmm. and you are also bi. That's correct. Okay. Now, the reason I wanted to have this conversation is to talk about what that journey was like for you. Of first realizing you're bi, and then you came to an affirming position, affirming meaning approving of gay marriage and gay relationships, and then you were excommunicated from the Salvation Army. I'm wondering if you could share some of that story. Oh. Okay, where should I start? Well, that was sort of a long process there. It happened over several years, and just to give you a hint of how long it took me to come to this, I am now 44 years old, and only probably around age 40, was I able to, to actually be okay with it and acknowledge, hey, yes, you're bisexual. Mm -hmm. um, but I had these feelings, but I'm being attracted both to men and women, well, probably starting around puberty. And that's when I really noticed that, yeah, I do like girls, but at the same time, it's like, what is this all about? I also like men. And growing up in the Salvation Army, and this is probably important to clarify, um, the Salvation Army is actually a religious denomination. People know the Salvation Army for its uh, charitable work and its social work. They're, they might even know that it's a religious organization, but they don't realize that uh, the Salvation Army is actually a church with its own pastors. The pastors are called officers, and the members of the church are called soldiers, and uh, we use a lot of military terms for people in the Salvation Army, so uh, when mm. we uh, pay tithes, we uh, fire a cartridge. When uh, an officer is moved from one spot to another, they receive marching orders, and so it's uh, developed along military lines, even though it is still a religious organization. Uh, but it's also very conservative as well. Uh, despite the social justice emphasis on it, uh, they tend to be, for the most part, very conservative. and. I grew up uh, being taught that same-sex attraction was wrong, and the Salvation Army has backed off a little bit on that uh, for the better. Uh, at one point, they did say that same-sex orientation is uh, is sinful. They backed away from that. They shied back from that, and they say it's not sinful, but uh, being in same-sex relationships or having same-sex encounters is sinful. Growing up feeling that way, I didn't know exactly what to do or how to act on that because I realized, you know, I had attractions for women, but also for men, and I would try to repress those and just focus on on women, which worked for the most part. And but being bisexual also meant that it was easy for me to discount the the gay argument, um, seeing how um, people 
to me, then it was a choice because to me, I thought was well, I can choose, I can choose to uh, who I can be attracted to. It must mm. be a choice for for people who say they are gay too, because I couldn't even admit for the longest time that it was even a choice. That's really interesting because I've actually met other people in the conservative church who say that, but when I, pro I mean, I, and when I say other people, I mean like one or two other people. It isn't like mm -hmm. this is a trend, but I have met a couple of other people, other church leaders who are conservative who say it's a choice. And when I probe more, I realize listening to them that they're actually bisexual and they mm -hmm. contextualize the issue in that way. And they say, well, I have these attractions, but I choose to, to orient myself towards women. I choose to focus on my attraction towards women and not towards men. Right. And they, they don't really have that self-awareness that that is not a universal experience. Yeah. So I went to a conservative uh, Christian college. Well, actually for, for them, they're relatively conservative, but uh, I guess by today's standards, they are even more conservative. It was uh, Asbury College. It's now Asbury University. I loved the university, loved it, loved my time there. I still have great friends from that time period. Um, and even while I was there, I actually sought out counseling, saying I feel like, of course, the term back then was homosexual. I was like, I feel like I don't know if I'm homosexual or not. Mm -hmm. I actually... Now, was was that ex-gay ministry or was that ex-gay therapy? Uh, no, not really. It was actually just me talking to one of their psychologists okay. in the counseling department there. Okay. To his credit, he never said to me point blank, what you're doing is a sin. But at the same time, he never said what you're feeling is not a sin as well. Sure. Um, mostly he was just questioning all the time. He was like, so why do you think that? Why would you say that? And putting the brunt of it back onto myself, he probably was treading thin water there. So sure. um, he could, he probably could have gotten in trouble since he actually was a licensed psychologist. Yeah, for sure. So you eventually went on to become an officer in mm -hmm. the Salvation Army. What was that process like? Well, I felt actually called by God to become a, an officer in the Salvation Army. I, it sort of runs in my blood, which is not a reason to become a, an officer or an ordained pastor at all, but four generations before me, and I'm the fourth generation of somebody who was in the Salvation Army and who was also an officer. So back to my great-grandparents who were missionaries from uh, Norway to the United States. So I had that tradition and it was sort of in my blood, but at the same time, I really did feel called by God to be an officer, and not only an officer, but a missionary as well. And so I geared myself to studying for it. I uh, studied uh, Christian ministries at Asbury. I went on to get my Master of Arts in Missions from Grace Theological Seminary in uh, Winona Lake, Indiana, and I really wanted to serve God as a missionary. Mm -hmm. Since I could already speak German, um, I decided I'd like to go to Germany. So part of my master's degree was I had to do uh, practicum overseas, and the Salvation Army helped me out with that and sent me to Hamburg, Germany. And I perfected my German mm -hmm. and really loved it over there. 
And then I decided to go ahead and go to the Salvation Army's own seminary. We call it a college for officer training. And it lasts for two years. And part of that was also having, I think they wanted to test me to see if I was really serious about being a missionary. So it was from 1998 to 2000. During that time, there was the uh, Yugoslav War among uh, the Kosovars and the Serbs. Mm. And I was sent to Albania in 1999 for three months to serve in our in refugee camps over there. Okay. And uh, that was amazing time for me. It sounds like you did a lot of really good work as an officer, work that you're oh, proud yes. of. I yeah. wouldn't turn my back on it. My first appointment as a Salvation Army officer was in Germany, and I lived there for 10 years. So how long were you an officer? 15 years. 15 years yeah. as an officer. Now, how would you describe your theology during that time before you came out? Uh, Wesleyan. For those who don't know, could you describe what Wesleyan is? Okay, Wesleyan theology is uh, comes across from John Wesley, who's the, uh, the founder of the Methodist Church. Um, even though he actually was never a Methodist pastor himself, he always stayed with the Church of England. But his theology was very much a systematic theology where they took the Bible and he had something which I actually feel quite proud of is something called the Wesleyan quadrilateral yes. where they use four things to judge your faith by or to help you out in your faith. Um, scripture, tradition, experience, and reason. Um, those four th things put together to examine your life as a Christian and your faith. And uh, those all, all four of those things are important uh, for people who are from the Wesleyan tradition. That's not only Methodists, but it's also the Wesleyan Church. There's uh, uh, the Nazarenes, and, and the Salvation Army came out of this tradition as well. As well. The uh, founder of the Salvation Army, uh, William and Catherine Ruth, they were both out of the Methodist Church. Basically, on that one... They are sort of the opposite of Baptists. Wesleyans tend to believe that it is possible to lose your salvation, or those who are Calvinists, which almost the opposite theologically in some ways, believe that it's not possible for somebody to lose their salvation. To me, that's a minor point, but it's the big point that differentiated uh, Wesleyans from Calvinists in it tends to bring up a lot of heated arguments and theological <laughs> circles. So. Yes, it does. I would have, because I was raised Calvinist, and so I would, um, I would have those fights in my, in my Christian high school. <laughs> but, um, so the Wesleyan quadrilateral, the combination mm -hmm. of scripture, tradition, reason, and then what was the fourth one? Experience. And experience. So, so tradition, reason, scripture, and experience. That is kind of like a built-in self-correcting mechanism for theology. And it was probably really helpful for you in eventually coming out and coming to an affirming position. Part of it also was having lived over in Germany for 10 years. I came back in 2010. And just to give people a perspective on that, I lived in Germany for 10 years, so from 2000 to 2010. I moved to Germany before the attacks on September 11th, mm. and you know, to me, the whole country changed. Of course, I changed as well. I didn't realize how much I changed until I came back. But 
to me, the entire nation seemed to have become paranoid and scared of their own shadow, finding terrorists under every single nook and cranny. When I lived in Germany, I was having to defend myself for being an American, and I really didn't change my theology, I guess you could say, until I came back. And then I realized it was very subtle, but I realized that I had changed even though I couldn't admit it to myself. And it wasn't until one of my parishioners, uh, one of the soldiers in my corps, in my church, came up to me and uh, said, Captain, I was a captain in the Salvation Army, that was our rank. And so hmm. like saying it's a pastor or a reverend, it's like, you're a liberal. I looked at him and was like, uh, <laughs> what do you mean? I've, and, I've had moments like that too, where people on, yeah, friends of mine have been like, wow, Stephen, you're really liberal now. And I would be like, wait, what? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, it floored me that one statement and I had to look at it and because I, I was, I realized I was complaining a lot about some things that I was able to do in Germany that I wasn't able to do here. And some of it were simple things like having to recycle. They had no recycle facilities in the city that I lived in, in Michigan. And at the very least there was paper, but you had to bring it into town and to a different spot. But there's nothing for plastics, nothing for glass, nothing for aluminum or even batteries. And I was going crazy because in Germany, I was conditioned to separate your trash. And it was actually cheaper for you to recycle than it was to throw everything away into the garbage. Sure. And probably the biggest thing about was healthcare. Even though we had excellent insurance, we still had problems with it. There were doctors who wouldn't accept our insurance because they didn't understand it or they didn't know what to do with it. And they would tell us no. And I'd have to go somewhere far away just because somebody didn't understand what the insurance was. And I'm thinking to myself, this would never happen to be in Germany. I could go to any doctor. They would they have to accept our insurance. We are fully covered all the time in Germany. And this is ridiculous. Sure. So, um, so would you say that your shift to <laughs> I hear your kids in the background. Um, <laughs> would you say that this that the shift started kind of as a political shift of just being immersed in life in Germany, and that that kind of reset stuff for you? It, it reset stuff in a way that you maybe weren't even aware of, and then you come back to the United States. And maybe, and that's when that process happened, that this shift was maybe first more political. Is that kind of what you're saying? Uh, in, in some ways. I mean, I didn't really see it as political per se. I just saw it as practical mm. um, more than anything. Um, like just things like recycling, healthcare, guns, the, the attack over in Connecticut at the, uh, Newtown, Connecticut, um, yes. uh, elementary school frightened me more than I could possibly imagine because the children that were killed there were my children's ages. Yes. And that scared me to death. And yes. I reached out. Of course, I was I was in social media. I was in Facebook. And I reached, I tried to talk to some other people, other friends of mine, who were in the Salvation Army and said, I, I'm not understanding this. I know there's there's a difference of culture here, but I don't understand why in the world people are treating each other like this. This doesn't seem very Christian at all. And I had some people 
tell me, well, then you need to go back to Germany. Oh, my goodness. Yes. Wow. Okay. And these were these were people in my own denomination. Even before the LGBT issue was kind of on your radar theologically, you were starting to find a dissonance or a gap between you and your denomination. Yeah. It it wasn't something that I wanted, but at the same time I thought I feel alone here. I can't be the only one like this. Sure. And I started to reach out to some friends of mine on Facebook. Facebook and try to talk with them. Most of them say, "Oh, you know, you, it's just because you were in Germany. You'll you'll get over it. You'll get back to normal." Mm. And it never did. Mm. And I didn't didn't know what to think of that. I noticed that a friend of mine who was also an officer in the Salvation Army was making very socialist remarks on Facebook, and I'm thinking, I agree with this. Yes. <laughs> so I reached out to him. I said, "What?" What do you think about starting a group for people in the Salvation Army who might be liberal? And I said, I said, we'll call it maybe, I don't know, we'll call it the Progressive Salvationist or something like that. And he loved the idea, and so we started it together. And lo and behold, it, it, it had hit such a resonance among many people in the Salvation Army. We had over 600 people in this group. That's great. Uh, it was and it was also the cause of my downfall. Mm. Um, so, so let me just pause you right there. It brings up kind of an observation that mm -hmm. I've had for a while where people have asked me, well, how, how do you have conversations with conservatives about the LGBT issue? And I guess what you are saying illustrates for me why it can be very hard to have those conversations and why it's very hard to reduce those conversations down just to the LGBT topic. Right. Because really what happened for you was a fundamental shift in how you saw the world. It was a right. fundamental shift that took place and living in Germany had to do with that where your, your whole world view started to change and that mm -hmm. in turn made accepting lgbt people far more likely far more possible and and so i i guess what i take away from this is that the disagreements in the conserv between conservatives and liberals are so much larger than just the lgbt issue and the lgbt issue is rooted in a fundamentally different worldview. And before mm -hmm. we can address whether gay people should have the right to marry, we need to have these conversations about worldview and the fundamentally different languages that we speak, the fundamentally different ways that we see the world. And so anyway, I just wanted to interject that. You can, you can go well, on with your story. Well, the, you know, there's a lot of truth in what you say there because it that was a forced perspective change that I had to have on my life. And I'm about 80% convinced, uh, I'm not totally convinced on this, but about 80% convinced that if I had never moved over to Germany that none of this would have happened. I would still be an officer in the Salvation Army, just somewhere else and doing good work, uh, but... I would never have been affirming in that manner. Yes. Um, and I would probably have been 
inwardly punishing myself for any same-sex attractions that would come up every now and then. And I think part of it was also uh, in our group, I didn't even, the LGBT question wasn't even on my, my radar. My, my concern was environmental issues, taking care of God's creation, human rights, gun issues, and trying to treat people like you want to be treated. And I noticed that many people who were coming into the group were saying, well, I was uh, an officer in the Salvation Army, but I was lesbian and I was kicked out because of that. Mm. Or somebody was saying I was gay and left because I I fell in love with another man. And these stories were not seldom. They were very frequent. They started happening quite often. And then I started to think to myself, when Jesus was here on this earth, he went to those that whom society had marginalized, you know, those who people were considered sinners, prostitutes, tax collectors. So, of course, when you think of tax collectors, you don't think of anything bad about it now, but these were people who were assumed to be traitors to their country, who extorted and financially extorted their fellow countrymen yes. uh, to an extravagant degree. They were hated by everybody there. And I had to think to myself, who in our society right now are those who are marginalized? And one of the big ones was people in the LGBT community. Absolutely. If Jesus were here, he would be sitting down eating dinner with them. Yes. And that floored me there. And that was the point that opened up my eyes. And then I started to think, well, Tim, what about yourself? And I reached out to a friend of mine whom I knew was also bisexual, but he was also married and uh, close to my age. And I had to ask him, what is it like for you? And that was the very first time I was able to actually come out to somebody and say, I think I might be bisexual. How did that feel to come out Uh, to someone? Well, scary, because unfortunately it got shoved into my face uh, without going to too many details it ruined my marriage i had always been faithful to my wife but that soured our relationship because i never brought up um to her the difficulties that i was struggling with personally Mm. and uh that was very difficult for her and i don't fault her at all for that because that's hard news for anybody to take but yes it, it eventually ended up in our divorce and me being outed then because of that to my superiors and saying uh, he's bisexual and this whole I had become a thorn in the side of my superiors because of my posts on social media questioning whether or not the Salvation Army should be more affirming of LGBT people. Unfortunately, the Salvation Army has a has had a bad rap when it comes to that. Some of it's deserved, some of it's not deserved. Every Christmas, you'll see posts from people in the LGBT community warning people not to donate to the Salvation Army because they discriminate against people in the LGBT community. Yes. This is my own perspective, and this is my experience. In practical services to people, they do not discriminate. However, they will when it comes to membership in their own denomination. And mm. this is what happened to me 
I have a feeling that since they discriminate in their own denomination spiritually, that this tends to ha have adverse effects when we serve other people socially as well. Right. Um, right. So it's uh, ultimately a, a so it's ultimately a hindrance for the activism and service and care that they provide to the public. Right. I do know the whole trans issue is also very delicate. I know some Salvation Army centers overseas and especially and actually there's one a very good one in Germany that will have that has a trans shelter for people who are, who identify as trans uh, in one way or the other and it will be a safe spot for them to live where they don't have to worry about being victimized that works very well there but my own sister who had been a Salvation Army officer until recently she uh, told me that at their shelter that they had in Detroit people had to be in the shelter of the gender that they were born in unless they had the sex reassignment surgery. Oh, okay. And how many homeless trans people can afford Ex such a exactly uh, such a, a surgery? Such a costly surgery. Yeah, absolutely. Right. So eventually you were, I guess for lack of a better term, excommunicated from the church. Could you, could you share that? Yeah, yeah, it didn't happen right away. I mean, it did and it didn't. What happened was um, because of my divorce, um, both of both my ex-wife and I were released from duties. However, since I was such a vocal supporter of LGBT inclusion, I was told that I could never become an officer again. Mm. And and that must be heartbreaking for you. <laughs> heartbreaking, but not surprising. Yeah. Then I didn't know if, uh, at first I thought, well, maybe as a soldier, as a regular member, I could have more freedom because as an officer, I couldn't always say my mind because it would be viewed as being disloyal, as not being, as going against uh, official word of what the Salvation Army was doing. And so we had, I always had to tread lightly there. Uh, I think one of my biggest uh, issues was when I, would say, you know, um, I disagree with the Salvation Army's main point, but I, just by saying that, that I disagree with the Salvation Army's uh, position statement yes. on, on same-sex relationships. When that happened, I think that was probably one of the death knells uh, that ha came in. Uh, screenshots of conversations that I had, had said to other people were sent to my superiors and... Uh, I remember having a conversation with the, uh, a young man from New Zealand who was saying the, the Bible was very clear on homosexuality being a sin. And I responded, the Bible is very, rarely clear on anything. <laughs> exactly, yeah. And that conversation was screenshot and sent to my personnel secretary, who's sort of like a an HR person. And he showed it to me. He's like, did you say that? And it's like, yes, I did. Well, that's heresy. And... When that was told to me, I knew my time in the Salvation Army was numbered. That was while I was still an officer. And then when I was uh, terminated as an officer, I thought, well, maybe I can still integrate myself into the Salvation Army and have more of a voice, an active uh, voice. Uh, so I moved to Branson. My, my uh, parents and my brother lived here in Branson and Missouri. <clears throat> And there's a Salvation Army church here, and 
I met with an officer there who's very nice, very friendly, uh, very conservative, but we got along very well. And I told him, I was very honest with him and said, this is what happened uh, with me. This is why I was terminated as an officer, but I'd still like to be a member here at this church. And then uh, I got a conversation with him and he said, oh yeah, sure, that'd be great. And then I had a conversation with him a couple months later and he told me his divisional commander, who is, uh, I guess in layman's terms, would be sort of like a bishop. And mm. he decided that because of my views on marriage equality, that I would not be allowed to be a member of the Salvation Army there in Branson, even, which is was ridiculous because... That is ridiculous. A transfer in membership, I mean, my membership in the Salvation Army wasn't canceled when I when my ordination was taken away. Mm. I was still a member of the Salvation Army, even though my ordination was gone. And that happens all the time. A Salvation Army officer might leave for whatever reason. Uh, maybe they decided to get to marry somebody who was not an officer and they, they couldn't move around as much as uh, their spouse could. Or maybe uh, there were some issues, financial reasons that they couldn't do it anymore. And that happened all the time. Um, sure. Is, and, uh, but they were still members of the Salvation Army. They were just no longer ordained. I thought, well, that could be a possibility for me. I could still be a voice for inclusion in the Salvation Army as a member. But when that happened, I couldn't believe it. I, I was just floored by it. And I tried to ask for clarifications. Like, you're telling me that you're not going to accept me as a member because of my view on marriage equality, I had to appeal it to our territorial headquarters, which is in Chicago. And I said, I don't understand. It's like when I was terminated as an officer, my soldiership wasn't canceled. And they're saying that they're not going to accept my membership because of my views on marriage equality. There's a phrase in our covenant that we sign that says that we will uphold the sanctity of family and marriage that we all sign as members of the Salvation Army. And that was the only thing that they could say, says that I wouldn't do, that I wouldn't mm. be faithful to that. But they had no intention of removing my membership as a Salvation Army soldier. They would just refuse to allow me to be a member at that particular church. Mm. And I had friends all over the world actually who said that that's terrible they can't do that uh, my friend who i started the group with uh, was an officer in uh, iowa and he said well transfer your membership over to my my denomination my church over here <laughs> and it's like we'll accept your tithe <laughs> but, so i actually did try to do that but then his divisional commander his bishop said well no they're trying to work it out on with them and basically i had a meeting then with the core officer, the pastor, and with the divisional commander, who's like the bishop. And they basically had to backtrack on that and said, no, we weren't trying to transfer you because of your views on marriage equality. We thought you were going to make marriage equality an issue at the Branson core. And it's like, I, I was floored when I heard that. I had to tell him I was never... You know, I was always true to my covenant as an officer, and yes. I, even when I was no longer an officer, 
I was always true to the 11 doctrines that we have in the Salvation Army. I never backed away from that. And I always thought there was um, room for interpretation and movement there among that. Because I know people in different parts of the Salvation Army around the world who have different views, but were not excommunicated because of those views. And I thought this could be an, an area where we could have some some commonality or some room for talk that we could exist in the tension there. We could still call each other brothers and sisters, even though we might not agree on everything. I, I see it done with Calvinists and, and Wesleyans. I see it done with Protestants and Catholics. But this issue of LGBT inclusion seemed to throw everybody into a whirlwind of destruction there. And yeah. I had no idea why that happened there. It, so so it, it kind of put them into a siege mentality. Yep. I started looking around for another church. Cool. So you were you were basically stuck in like this limbo, in this purgatory, unable to really connect with your home church. And yeah. for listeners who may not get the the anguish of this experience, mm-hmm. you know, don't underestimate the power of a home culture, of a of a central culture in one's life, and to be divorced from that, be it church or something else, is extraordinarily painful. And so some people listening might be like, well, why didn't you just leave earlier? And, you know, why, why didn't you just get out and go to a, a more affirming place? Well, I think the answer for that uh, for you is the same answer that is for me with my with my conservative church, my conservative upbringing is that this is home, and that home has a very very deep stake in your in your mind in your psyche, and to be divorced from it or to be cast out of it, it feels like an amputation. It is remarkably painful. There's so much truth in what you say to that. I. Uh... I remember listening to uh, Mike McCarg uh, from Ask Science Mike and the Liturgist fame, and he was saying that uh, he has a wonderful story, by the way, of him losing his faith. He grew up in the Southern Baptist tradition, and he lost his faith, and for about two years was an atheist, uh, atheist in hiding almost, but uh, he still considered himself an atheist, and then he came back to faith in a very mystical experience and had a new passion for his faith. And when he started to express his faith to members in his own church, they rejected him. Yes. And he said that rejection was worse for him than his own parents getting divorced. Yes. And and exactly. I could I could totally understand that. Because uh, it, uh, growing up in the Salvation Army, there's this way of doing things that you're always there's a terminology, there's a language, there's this foundation of your life that you've grown up with that is suddenly gone. Yes, and it does feel like, like you said, like an amputated limb there, where you have these phantom memories. And uh, I remember when. I finally made the decision to leave the Salvation Army and to resign uh, my membership. I went and started listening to old Salvation Army brass band music that I always loved and played. Uh, yes. 
and uh, just went through a grieving period of that. That uh, that was very difficult. But at the same time, I also had to look at what I had gained because I had found a very affirming church uh, in Springfield, Missouri, that was uh, part of the Disciples of Christ Church, and mm, good. the the pastors there just uh, open uh, welcomed me with open arms and. And I would tell them I was bisexual, and it didn't even phase them. They just like, oh, that's wonderful. It's, um, it was great that um, how they just loved me and just took me in for who I was. And when I talked to them about becoming a member, the only requirement that they had for membership was uh, to be baptized. Uh, and then they said they would accept any baptism if I got baptized in another church that uh, they would accept it. Now, here's the funny thing. The Salvation Army is one of two denominations that doesn't practice any sacraments. Mm, mm-hmm. So <laughs> we don't have any baptism or communion. Mm. Uh, we, we don't, uh, they don't uh, view them as being inherently bad at all. They just feel that they're not necessary for salvation, that sure. uh, they, rep- they represent the change that happens in your life and... Um, they aren't necessary to have them in there in that particular form. Um, I remember uh, when I was at college, I would listen to Methodists and Baptists argue with each other about how to be baptized. Methodists, Methodists would say, it's okay to be sprinkled and Baptists like, no, you have to go fully under the water there. <laughs> and, yep. I, and, I know those arguments well. <laughs> and when they asked me how I was baptized, I would just say, you yeah, know, I was dry cleaned. And (laughs) (laughs) but uh, so um, my pastor said, you know, well, this is uh, this is the only thing that we would do. I it's like I know you're a Christian, uh, but it's the only requirement that we have to become a member of the disciples of Christ that you follow, that you're saying that you're following in Jesus's footsteps and that you're being baptized. Um, And uh, so. I was, and I didn't feel it was a bad thing. It's like, I thought to myself, well, it's just like becoming a member of the Salvation Army. In the Salvation Army, we get a uniform to wear, and if I want to become a member here, I get baptized. That's I didn't see anything wrong with it. In fact, it was a very moving experience when I was baptized. My, my mm. children were able to be there, and uh, uh, Phil Snyder, my uh, pastor who baptized me, even stated, you know, this is, uh, you're not a new Christian. We know um, uh, you have deep Christian roots, and but we're just acknowledging this is another step in your in your journey in faith. They accept you who for who you are and then accompany you on your journey of faith. And when I was in the Salvation Army, in order to belong, I had to believe a certain way before I could be accepted. And in this church, they accept me first, and then they accompany me as I discover my own faith. That's wonderful. In a lot of ways, your life went through kind of this little apocalypse when you left the Salvation Army or, or when you came out. You, so you came out as bi. You, your views had gradually transformed over time. And you found yourself estranged from the Salvation Army and you moved to a new city. And what was that like? That, that whole fundamental shift, what was, what was the aftermath of that like for you? Uh, 
I had to find my center and balance there. I had to continue taking care of myself. I knew that I was in a very fragile space and that my life was chaotic. But I talked to uh, many people, you were one of them, of course, uh, who, who recommended just keep on taking care of yourself right now. And so I made certain to do that, to do things that would help me be balanced, even though everything else was chaotic around me. So I would exercise, and that exercise would help me out immensely because I could just have all these good endorphins going through my body, even though I felt miserable and depressed. Because not only did I lose my church, I lost my family. I was going through a divorce. I moved from one place to another. I lost my job, lost my house, lost my car, lost everything. And I knew that was in a very fragile area. And I had good people around me who said, you know, just take care of yourself. Do practical things for yourself there. I had a job, which was wonderful. I'm now a 911 dispatcher. And so (laughs) that that kept me sane too because I would be at work and I could concentrate solely on work and helping people out, which I felt was something that I never lost then, even though I was no longer an officer in the Salvation Army, I was able to still help people out who were in need in even a more practical way than I was before. And um, that really helped me keep my sanity. Mm. And uh, Good. Um, I also discovered that there are many conservative friends of mine who, even though they were conservative, still loved me and cared for me. And that shocked me, too. Mm. And (laughs) probably one of the hardest things I had to learn was that even though I might have become liberal or progressive or out, that not everybody hated me because of that. And it was no longer an us versus them type of mentality. And I had to keep on reminding myself that. Mm. Every day, these people who might think differently than me are still people created in the image of God, whom God loves, yes. and who also, in many ways, still love me very much. And that is also very sobering for me. Yes. Yeah, I mean, one one thing that I really relate to listening to your story is just the apocalypse that happens after a shift like this where it it really does feel like you have to rebuild your entire life and you know of course my apocalypse happened earlier in life you know it, for me it happened in my 20s <laughs> in in my mid 20s and so i it's it was easier for me to to bounce back i think i had i i was in it i, I was in the conservative world for less time but it was it was really really traumatic and the loneliness that accompanies a breakdown like that is just overwhelming the the sense of isolation the uncertainty about where you belong about even who you are because you know i i think one thing that that some non-religious folks don't don't often appreciate and I and I say this I because I observe this I I kind of straddle both worlds I have one foot in kind of the atheist skeptic world and then I have one foot in the uh, religious Christian world 
one thing that I often strive to communicate to people is just how much religion is not just community, but also identity. Mm -hmm. And it is not just where you are or who you talk to. It isn't just community. It is also who you are. It is a deep aspect of your sense of self and your sense of identity. And when you lose that, that's almost, it, it is almost a physical pain. It is a sort of heartbreak. And the breakdown that I experienced, the, the breakdown that I experienced when I started to shift and started to realize what I have invested in my whole life might not be true when it, and I, and I might've been wrong on the gay issue and I'm, I am gay. And if I come out then that means I'll lose everything. That was almost, it, it felt like my, not just my heart was broken, but like my whole body was broken. It was just extraordinarily painful. Well, I think there's some truth though to what you're saying. You, you're saying it's almost physical, but there are physical side effects to it. And that yes. happens. Uh, your mind is involved, and will, uh, it, whenever we go through something traumatic like that, it, whether it's through shock or depression or anything mental of that nature, it's going to have a physical effect on you. And so yes. that definitely is going to going to happen. It has these uh, this uh, physical as well as mental effects. Um, I think sometimes uh, we tend to separate spiritual with uh, secular, mental from physical, when we should realize that they're all interconnected with each other. And yes. They're more part of us than, than we sometimes would like to care to admit. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, and, and you know, I, I remember going through the most horrific depression maybe of my life, and that's... Mm. That's quite a huge statement for me because I am prone to depression. Mm -hmm. Depression has kind of been my my demon my entire life. But so I'm 29 now, starting in 2014. I I had already made the shift to affirming theology, believing that gay marriage is good, believing that God blesses same-sex marriage and so on, and yet I just found myself plummeting. I just hmm. found, I found myself in this really, really scary place, the likes of which I'd never really experienced before. I would hmm. wake up in the morning and, and having dreamed about this tiny little room that was perfectly quiet. It was like a vault away from all the noises in my head, away from all the conflicting noises, away from the church, away from the culture, and that I could just hide there and not have to be exposed to it at all. And I would start to dream about that room. And it was like the conflict, I had, I had finally come to an affirming position, but the conflict and the, and the struggle it took me to get there was just so massive. I would... I, I live here in the Appalachian Mountains of North Carolina. I would just start going up into the mountains where it was perfectly quiet and I would just stay up there in the woods because that that felt safe to me. I, it felt like I didn't have any skin on anymore. It, it felt like I had been flayed. And so I was just raw nerves. And that's mm. that's where... 
that was the cost of shifting my views. And then I started to become really self-destructive. I started sleeping around a lot and became really compulsive sexually. And I mean, I was a mess. I was a huge mess. And when I, when I look back on my journaling from that time, when I look back at that season of my life, I realize I was grieving for the church. I was grieving for the pain that I had gone through and how deeply alienated I felt from this church that loved me. And it wasn't so much that I felt like the church hated me. The conservative church doesn't always necessarily hate gay people, although that is sometimes true. The source of grief for me was that they can't handle me. Mm. That it is because of people like us, because of the LGBT community, because of people who, who love the same sex or who are trans, that these ancient traditions are breaking apart and imploding. Mm. It is because of people like us that the Anglican communion is destroying itself. It is because of people like us that the denomination that I grew up in, the Peace USA, the Presbyterian Church of America, of the United States of America, uh, is falling apart, is shrinking drastically, and is, and is going through these gigantic political battles internally. It's because of people like us. And, mm. and so it wasn't this feeling of I'm hated. It is this feeling of I am anathema. I am poison to this community that I love, to this system, to this construct, this ancient thing called the church that I really, really love. I feel like when I touch it, it kills it. And that I just couldn't handle. That was a very, very deep grief for me. I think what you said reminds me also of uh, sometimes the church doesn't want to face up to the fact that we are there. Yes. Uh, that there are these problems. And pro possibly one of the biggest stories that I hear among conservatives in my old denomination in the Salvation Army was that the church that becomes affirming is starting losing all these members. And I, I realized, though, but the thing is, in conservative churches as well, they're losing all these members, too, from people who have, who have been rejected because yes. of their identity. It's been happening now for, 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 for years. For decades. Yeah, for yeah. decades. Yeah, seriously. Where all of a sudden they... Um, people are gone, and they just don't register it. It's like, oh, oh, no, we're still okay. We're still growing. They might be growing numerically, but they're also losing so many people, and they're yes. just not willing to face up to it and admit to it. Yeah, and, and, you know, I think that a lot of the evangelical conservative churches are growing in part because I, I don't mean to, to um, speak poorly of those traditions, but I... I do think that there is a lack of nuance and that there is a simplicity in those worldviews that are that is very appealing well, right now in this day well, and age. You 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 pounding on actually something that we as humans basically like we like to know right from wrong. We like to have it black and white. And when things turn out to be gray, we don't like that at all. No, we, we hate want, that. Uh, we want it to be clear cut and yes. 
and saying, no, this is right, this is wrong, there is no gray in between. And actually, I find that even on the liberal side as well, I, I, uh, as which I had to remind myself too that, like, well, maybe do conservatives actually have a point here when they say uh, we can't afford to do this, or, um, or yeah. there, there are other things that what I have to realize is like, even being liberal, there's a tendency to be black and white. There, we're just on the opposite side. Absolutely. Um, I think maybe that's one of the things I can bring as by uh, in there because I'm neither uh, fully attracted to well I am attracted to both males and females and uh, um, so when you were uh, talking about these other pastors who may or may not have bisexual tendencies uh, I don't view orientation as gay straight I view it as a spectrum yes. to where People could be here on the spectrum or there on the spectrum, and maybe they even shift in their life to to another part, and, and yes. it's not a fixed constant. No, it isn't, uh, and, and I think we're very uncomfortable with that. I think in some ways the gay community is very uncomfortable with that, and, and I think that, and that isn't to say that same-sex attraction is a choice. That is not at all what that's saying but that there is kind of this, beneath the level of the will, there can be this fluctuation, this shift in orientation that could be, that can be inexplicable. Now I am, I am like, you know, your garden variety gay. I'm, <laughs> I'm pretty much exclusively attracted to men. I, I used to call myself aware straight though, where it was like every full moon. <laughs> Every full moon, I would, I would get some glimmer of of heterosexualness and and look at a woman and be like, huh, I can kind of get why why men are attracted. I can kind of get why why women are sexually attractive. I can kind of right. get it now. And then, and then you know, the full moon would be over, and I would be back to to being boy crazy. So, but and so I am much further towards the gay side now. Mm. Now, what has your experience in the gay community been? Being by coming, being having been an officer in the Salvation Army, with so, what has been your reception in the gay community? Uh, it's another culture shock. <laughs> so, um, when I moved to Germany, there was a culture shock there, uh, mm. getting used to how they live and how they act and how they go day to day. It's another culture shock. I have a very good friend of mine who helped uh, ease me into it a little bit and said, it's like, if you can learn from my experiences, uh, then that would be great and I can help you out here. Uh, he himself uh, is still in the Salvation Army and is still gay. He's one of the very few people who is actually very out and people know about it, but he's also under a lot of scrutiny because of that. Uh, but he said to me, have you ever heard of the term buy now, gay later? Like, oh, no. <laughs> no, 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 no. Yeah, and right. when I heard that, I was like, uh, "Yeah, you can go and uh, uh, take that away and never come <laughs> back again with it," because uh, that's a, not uh, me at all. A polite way to say, "Shove it up your ass." Um, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, and and that's actually a really common thing in the gay community is that bi is just like the the holding room it, it's like yeah. the the waiting room for gay it's the waiting room for fabulous and well, 
And, and I, and, well, and, and I think that, that for some people that is true, you know, I identified as bi in college because, you know, gay was just too scary and flaming. Mm -hmm. And, and so bi was like this comfortable halfway point. And so mm -hmm. I think that's true for some people, but what it, what that viewpoint fails to see is that there are legitimate bi people. There are real mm -hmm. bi people who have been bisexual their entire lives. Yeah. And probably some of the things that have been talked to me from people who didn't understand actually from the gay side, and it was like, it's like, what does that mean that you're, that you want to have sex all the time with men and women or that you want to do threesomes? It's like, no, that does, that's not what it means at all. Because uh -huh. uh, I am very much a monogamous type of person. I just want to be with one person uh, for the rest of my life. And if that person turns out to be male, great. If that person turns out to be female, awesome. Uh, I just want to be with one person. I don't want to share that person. I don't want to be in a polyamorous relationship. Uh, I know I have friends who are polyamorous. I think it's wonderful that they can do it. I think it's the most difficult thing in the world to be, but I, and I don't understand it at all. But I yeah, accept it. I I yeah. agree with that. I am I am wired. I I'm like a penguin. I'm wired yeah. to to be monogamous for my entire yeah. life. That's just the way I am. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, I've gotten that reaction from from gay people at first when they they assumed that that that's what I want it's like no uh, but maybe they've had experiences with that and, and their experiences have said this um, when people say they're bi this is actually what they mean um, mm, but it, sure. it, it wasn't and is not like that for me uh, of course in the, the, the languages uh, uh, cultural things that come up that I will catch only afterwards uh, I'm a member of a men's course uh, of the Ozarks, and I have a great time with them. But some, 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 sometimes their insider jokes always uh, get me nice and embarrassed. Uh, I remember mm. one time I tend to be quite this um, uh, particular. Let me put it this way: I tend to be quite particular in music. I, I want to be very exact, and yes. I want to get everything right. And so I was. In this choir, and I said, you know, no, I, no, I tend to be anal about this, and then it's like, no, 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 <laughs> I don't mean it like that. That's not what <laughs> I mean. <laughs> That's uh, but <laughs> well, so where are you now? So you've come through this incredible, incredible journey of right. being conservative, moving to Germany, changing your worldview unintentionally being kicked out coming out being excommunicated from the salvation army moving to a new city so where are you now i don't know actually i i like yeah the... i i don't know where i am either that's the most <laughs> honest answer that you can give i think i i like the person i've become mm. i i'm happy with that i'm excited about the possibilities. Uh, I want to be a good person. I want to help other people. And I want to be a good father to my children. I just want to show other people the love of God that I myself experience and continue to experience on a day-to-day yeah. -day basis. And 
I have found a community where I'm loved and accepted, and that is something that I can't ignore. Um, I know it's good to be around people who are different from you, who who might have different opinions, and I try to keep up with that as well, to engage with people who think differently than me. But at the same time, it's also very nice to have that community of people who will support you and affirm you for who you are and not look down on you. And that's what I found. So it's been wonderful. Good, good. Yeah, and you know what I what I relate to in you saying, I don't know where I am, <laughs> is that <laughs> becoming, and, and this isn't just true for gay people who are, or, or for LGBT people who are going through a shift or a deconstruction with their faith, It's also true for a great deal of other people, for for a lot of other people, is that this is an ongoing thing, and I don't really know if it ever ends. And there's this bittersweet aspect to it that I don't know will ever end for me. Mm. I think that there will always be the the pain of of being gay in the church, and Mm. that I think I will carry that experience with me and I will be working through that experience maybe my entire life. And the memory of that pain will always be with me. But then on the other hand, it has afforded me such an extraordinary view of the world and such an extraordinary view of human nature and has given me such a capacity for empathy. And I really think that being gay in the church has made me and you and just about every other gay Christian person I know, uh, a deeply empathetic and deeply sensitive person. And I would not trade that for anything in the world. But Mm. that gift comes with a dark side. And that dark side is is a sense of discomfort. There is a perpetual discomfort of trying to find your place and figure this shit out. Answers don't come as easily anymore. And uh, yet at the same time, I wouldn't trade that for anything. One of, the, one of my biggest issues that I notice with my own self is having to watch out not to fall into bitterness. Um, uh, uh, that's my own personal weakness. I can become bitter mm. very easily at what has happened to me. I could become bitter towards the Salvation Army. I could become bitter towards my ex-wife. I could become bitter towards uh, people who have rejected me, who don't understand me. But that only hurts myself, and it won't help me out at all. And it's actually really good. When I was talking to my therapist about this, I told him, I was like, I, I, I think I'm becoming bitter, and I don't want to be. And he said, that's good. That's good that you realize that. Mm. And it, part of it is just realizing, hey, I have a chance to become embittered by this, and I don't want to. So I try to realize, yeah, I'm going to have this pain but I need to find a way to effectively deal with it. So I found it through practical ways, too. I I, I love to exercise now. Good. Um, I love contemplative meditation. It is a big help to me in my life. I know you've discovered yoga. and uh, Yes. I, oh, boy. I really want to try that sometime if I can have the time to add that to my schedule. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> well, if ever you want help, just let me know. Definitely, definitely. 
but that and this community that I've had doing positive things for myself has helped me go through this and realize, hey, I am still worthwhile. I'm still loved. I have still something to offer to society. And that, that has made all the difference. Absolutely. Well, uh, unfortunately, we are out of time. We could definitely <laughs> talk for many more hours as we have in the past. But yeah. um, maybe we can do this again. Where can people find you if they want to, if they want to connect with you? Well, I'm on Twitter, as you found out, at Forward2000. Okay. Uh, that's, that's actually something old with the Salvation Army to do. I might find a new Twitter handle someday, but right now that's where I can okay. be found. I also have a blog. I call it the Latitudinarian. Okay. It's a nice, uh, it's, um, it's a nice euphemism for progressive. It's a synonym for progressive, and I love that word. So Awesome. Uh, that's so I, where people can find me. Yeah. Wonderful. Well, I will link to that stuff in the show notes. So, yeah. well, thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for joining us, for joining uh, me and Timothy. And if you have any thoughts, comments, responses to what we've said in this interview, you can uh, comment on the page for this podcast on my blog, S. Bradford Long. If you love my work, want to check more out, uh, come visit me on sbradfordlong.com. I have dozens of articles there about all sorts of stuff, ranging from LGBT issues to faith to doubt, skepticism, mental health. The logo design is by Justin Caleb Bryant. The music is by The Jelly Rocks. And I will see you next time. <laughs>